Did you ever hear of organizational silos? Now, if you work for a company with more than 10 employees, you did. If you work for a company that has multiple functional units, that each one of them with more than one employee, you did. If you work with a company that has multiple business units, you heard about organizational silos. And in this episode, I will explain what are the negative consequences of organizational silos, what causes them, and how to break silos down. And obviously, it's all about trust. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And since I'm introducing a new word, silos, it's only fair that I start by uh, defining it. And I'll start with the dictionary definition. And when you look at silo as a noun, the dictionary says that uh, one example is that it's a tower or a pit on a farm used to store grain. So it's kind of a uh, hard structure that, uh, you know, storing grain and protecting them from the environment. Uh, you can store grain in bulk and uh, you don't have to put them in boxes or anything. Uh, it's uh, Another definition is it's an underground chamber in which a guided missile is kept ready for firing. And that's when uh, we go back to the Cold War. And actually, we still have those, and, and I'm sure that everybody has them. Uh, Long-range missiles, ballistic missiles, they're typically carried in an underground, um, underground silo to be protected so that you can use them when you need them. But there's a verb, and I like the verb uh, meaning of um, silo. And that's, uh, again, from dictionary, not, not mine. When you use silo as a verb, it means isolate one system, process, department, etc., from others. And the example that they give on how you use it in a sentence is that most companies have extensive IT systems that have developed over the years, but they are siloed. So silos are really uh, kind of groups within the company. I mean, if you, if you look at the company and, and you plot uh, like a scatter plot of all the people in the company, you're not going to get a homogeneous a map of all the people in the company, what you're going to get is you're going to get groups. You're going to get people grouped within groups. And, and sometimes at different layers or from different perspectives, you're going to get people in different groups allocated to different groups. Uh, one of the most common one is functional. So you're going to see a silo of engineers, the engineering department, and a silo um, for the marketing department, and a silo for... Um, you know, finance or, or a silo for human resources and so on. Uh, sometimes in companies that have multiple business lines, you're going to see a silo around the business line. So you're either inside the business line or outside of the business line. 
And and one thing is uh, David Eggleman had uh, a book uh, and and a, actually a six piece a six part uh, TV show called The Brain. Uh, and in one of them, I believe it's chapter five or or episode five in in the TV show, he talked about being in the in group versus being in the out group. So people who are in the in group and people who are in the out group, they're they're outside of the group. And those are those are the silos. To me, there is uh, I'm I'm going to call it a side effect, but but it's a wall. It's a wall of distrust. So if you're on one side of the wall, all the people within the same uh, side of the wall are uh, trusted and um, or trust each other, but they don't trust the people on the other side of that wall. Silos have negative effects on the company. I, I want that to be perfectly clear. Uh, what happens immediately is that organizations, different organizations, um, are not supporting each other. And this could be different business units. Uh, I worked in a company where the CEO, I, I was running a business unit where the CEO said, you don't worry about any other business unit. You worry about your own business unit, period. So organizations are not supporting each other. Often in a company, uh, even different business units uh, get to the point where one plus one equals three, you know, because one business unit has one product or one service and the other business unit has another product or another service. The fact that the same company has both gives some market advantage to the company as a whole, but that's only if organizations are supporting each other. Now, I'm not saying make bad decisions, bad management decisions uh, to support another organization. But when you just don't care about another organization, that's where you start seeing the negative effect of silos. Now, I talked about uh, fun uh, different uh, business units, but uh, what about uh, different uh, functional organizations? When uh, finance is not supporting engineering, engineering is not supporting marketing, sales is not supporting manufacturing, manufacturing does not support HR, and vice versa. Uh, now, you know, a company needs all of them. None of the business units is redundant. N none of the business units is there just to give people something to do. Those, uh, not business units, those, those functional areas are all needed for the success, successful operation of the company as a whole. And so um, if, if those functional areas, they don't support each other, that hampers the entire company. That that that's happening at the company level. Now, sometimes it's it's a matter of not supporting each other. Sometimes it gets to the point where the silos are so deep and the animosity across different functions or different business units is so strong that uh, organizations are actually operating against each other. I mean, we're getting to the point where uh, you're happy that another organization is not making it. And that's really bad for a company. And, and you know what? Uh, you may think that I'm crazy and that this never happens. This might be happening in your own company. Think about it. And if not, I can tell you that this happens in other companies. And I'll tell you what. 
you can be the most successful HR department or the most successful finance department or engineering department or manufacturing or marketing or sales department. Who cares if the company fails? If the company as a company fails, all departments fail. All business units fail. There is a reason why they all exist within that company. And you know, when a company acquires a new business, a new company, and they find that that there is no synergy, they spin it out. And and that happened multiple times in in, uh, history. But let's assume that all the businesses and all the departments within the company are actually needed at the company. The failure of one of them is the failure of the company. And it doesn't matter if your business unit or your department is successful when the company fails. There is another interesting phenomena or or reciprocal relationship between reciprocity or, or reciprocity between silos and distrust. And, and the way this works is silos happen because people in one department or one business unit don't trust people in another department or another business unit. That's where silos start happening. I don't trust you, therefore I'm in my own silo, you stay in yours. But because I'm in my own silo and you stay in yours, and and because we don't spend time together, and then I'll talk more about that, then I don't trust you. So it's, call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. I just like to call it a reciprocal relationship between silos and distrust. I distrust you, therefore we have silos. We have silos, therefore I distrust you and you distrust me. And for a good reason. And, and next I'll explain what are those good reasons. So why do silos form in an organization? And obviously, I'm going to do that from the perspective of uh, my relative trust model. So the first component that really plays a role here, and I think that the component that plays uh, possibly the biggest role, is the situational component of symmetry. And it starts with the leadership. The leadership... When you have leaders that focus on their own departments or focus on their own business units and not at the company level, you have a problem with, you, you create silos. Uh, you know, executives show up to an executive staff meeting, and I've seen that. I, I've been to, to meetings like that. And they care about their own uh, group. Uh, how do I get more? How, do, how does my department get more? How does my business unit get more recognition? Uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni, in one of his books about silos, uh, talked about uh, having a crisis uh, or, or not having a rallying cry. And uh, whenever I, I describe the component of symmetry, uh, the way I look at it is having a wall. You have a wall. And trust happens when you and the other side, here we're talking about another business unit, we're talking about another functional department in the company, when you and the other entity are on the same side of the wall. Now, there are two things that would keep you on that side of the wall. 
one thing that pulls you in there, uh, you know, Lencioni looks at it as uh, as a rallying cry. Uh, I would look at it more as a very compelling vision or mission statement that's so compelling that we're both uh, pulled in to the same side of the wall. And, and when I say we both, again, this is different business units or different functional areas in the company. We're both being pulled into the same uh, side of the wall by this thing. But but for that, for a mission statement to, to do that, it has to be really compelling and not just uh, we're going to be the leaders in providing the best customer service to our uh, customers. You know, th- that that's bull. I'm sorry. That's that has absolutely no compelling value. That's that's just something that you say uh, so that you feel good about yourself, really. I mean, there is no other value in it. So I'm talking about a real compelling value. And, and there was a great article, I think it was from the 1980s, maybe 90s, by Gary Hamill and, uh, and Prahalad, I don't remember his uh, first name, uh, called uh, Strategic Intent. And he talks about that strategic intent as uh, something that pulls people together. So not having that doesn't attract you and the other entity or two business units or, or two functional areas or two or more uh, to the same side of the wall. Uh, the, the flip side of it, uh, Lencioni was looking at it as, as a crisis. I call it a common enemy. Having an enemy on the other side. And obviously, the bigger the enemy, the the bigger or the bigger the crisis is. Um, and it doesn't have to be a crisis, but the bigger it is, and it's on the other side of the wall, it pushes both of us to the same side of the wall. So that's what happens to pull us into the same side and, and prevent silos. The thing is, if there is no compelling thing, maybe it's a vision or a mission statement or something that pulls us into the same side or a common enemy strong enough pushing us to the same side of the wall while it remains on the other side of the wall. With the lack of these two, then, you know, the symmetry component really does not promote or does not eliminate silos. You you create silos. Uh, One of the biggest problems that can happen is when this mission statement or or the thing that's compelling that pulls you in is unique to your own silo, your own functional department or your own uh, business unit. And um, it is um, or, or that the crisis is outside of your business unit or your functional area and not the company. So when you have those, those push us to have silos. And the other thing, one of the worst things that that a CEO can do, and and I know that many CEOs believe that uh, this kind of competition is really helpful, is they're driving their functional areas or their business units into competition. Competition over budget, competition over resources, and so on. Uh, and, And when... Executive meetings or or specifically budget meetings become uh, take something from one business unit and give it to another one or or one department, give it to another one. That kind of competition creates silos. 
And, and it's similar to when I talk about uh, between employees within a team. It's similar to when, uh, you know, members of the team compete for resources within the team or compete for maybe a promotion, maybe a bonus. That's when they become on other sides of the wall. And at the organization level, at the functional department or, or at the business unit level, this is when you start having silos. When you're driven to competition and you're typically driven to competition from the top. The next component of the uh, relative trust model that, that affects the creation of silos is time and intimacy. So th these are two components, but I often refer to them as, as one, time and intimacy. The, the less time we spend with another person, the less we spend time with them in a face-to-face -face setting, uh, the, the less trust we have in them and, and they in us. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to David Eagleman's uh perspective of the in-group and out-group, and he's, he's not the only one uh, dividing into in-group and out-group, and how we look at people who are outside versus people who are inside, uh, you know, there is a limited amount of time that we have. There is a limited amount of time that we have in life, in a day, in a work day, in a work week. There is a limited amount of time, and where do I spend it, and how intimate do I spend it with other people will determine the level of trust between me and those other people. So the, once you have silos, and this is, again, this is kind of how it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, that this is how things spiral out. I'm starting to spend more time within the silo with people in that same silo as I have, and I spend less time with others that are in other silos. There are obviously there are exceptions, there are friendships that were forged outside of the, the workplace uh, between people in, in different uh, organizations. And by the way, those should be harnessed, but I'll talk about that later. The fact that you start having silos means that you're going to spend more time with people within the silo than with people outside the silo, and that will only entrench the silo. That would only raise those walls of distrust between silos. Because that's what you have between silos, walls of distrust. The next component that plays a role is personality compatibility or incompatibility. And, and it starts with the executives or the leaders of the functional uh, departments or, or different business units. When they don't have personality compatibility between them, among them, and they're probably not working on trying to build that, then they are really the ones at the top that are forming those silos. You know, when they go back to their functional unit or, or business unit, when they go back and they trash the other business units or the other functional departments, they create the silo among their employees, their employees who might not have a strong enough exposure to, to other businesses or other departments uh, will start looking at them differently through the eyes of what the executive tells them. 
where you do have personality compatibility is within the functional unit, uh, mainly, f- and this is really mainly functional unit, although this could be a business unit or, or something around the specific market, because people within the same function tend to trust each other because they believe that they have more in common and therefore personality compatibility. Human resource department uh, personnel trust other human resource department personnel. Marketing people trust more marketing people. This is by definition because they have different sets of skills. Uh, In general, they appreciate different things. uh, They value different things. They prioritize different things. And so it's a lot easier to find common ground and personality compatibility within people within the same function or within the same market um, than it is uh, between among people from different functions. I mean, it's almost a given. It's like you always have issues between the engineering department and the sales department, like almost always. Um, And those are are almost inherent to, to the job itself. But again, it's creating a personality incompatibility. What it also creates is is local cultures. You know, if um, even when you don't come into a, a functional area or a business unit disliking other departments, this just becomes part of the local culture. And it is transferable. So a new person comes in and, you know knowing that they're going to be working with people in this silo and knowing that this is what people in this silo think about others, they're going to think the same, even though they didn't have those same experiences. It kind of reminds me of the story of those uh, five monkeys. And, and you know, I, I talk about that in the Book of Trust, and it's not a real experiment that took place. It's actually the culmination of multiple experiments. Um, but but it, it's still a great story that, that I think you will relate to. Just keep in mind that this is not how it happened. But just imagine this, five monkeys in a cage with a ladder and bananas on top of the ladder. And uh, one monkey he smells the banana, he goes up. And as soon as the first monkey puts a first foot on the ladder, all the monkeys within the cage get sprayed with ice-cold water. They get hosed down. Uh, so the next one tries, the next one, and, and pretty soon they realize that doesn't matter who, as long as one of them goes up the ladder, as soon as they start going up the ladder, everybody's going to get uh, hosed down with ice-cold water, so they don't let any of them go up. Once this was established and none of them is even trying anymore, they take one monkey out and they bring a new monkey. The new monkey comes in, looks up, sees the bananas, looks around, going, why isn't everybody going after the bananas? Starts climbing. And right before they start climbing, all the other monkeys immediately grab that monkey and prevent it from going up there. Don't go up there. And they don't use a strong enough language to actually explain why. Just don't go up there, period. Don't go up there. And, uh, you know, then they take out another one of the original monkeys and they put another new one who first tries to go up. But as soon as they try to go up, uh, the other monkeys hold them down. And actually, nobody gets hosed with ice-cold water anymore, but they just keep keep everybody from going up. 
Then they take the third one out, the fourth one out, the fifth one out, and now you have five brand new monkeys. None of them is going to go up, but they don't know why. And that's the power of transferable trust. You know, this is this is how we do things around here. We here in this department, we don't like the marketing department. Why don't we like the marketing department? I don't know. Doesn't matter. We don't like the marketing department. I'm the new guy here, but that's what they told me. We don't like. And, and so it creates a local culture and this local culture of disliking another department or, or being in our own silo and they're on the other silo and they're not good people. Um, that becomes a personality incompatibility issue. Now, also keep in mind that there is a deterministic amount of trust that people have in general. And the more you trust people that are within your silo, the less you trust people outside of that silo. You just don't have enough trust uh, to spread around. And that's something else to consider. So I used the relative trust model to explain why silos happen. Why do they get worse? Why, why do they spiral uh, really out of control? And, and I told you about the, the negative consequences, but, you know, I'm guessing you're waiting to hear how you break them down. So here's how you break them down using the same relative trust model. The first component is kind of obviously the symmetry component or the wall of distrust. So while Lencioni refers to this as uh, do we have a crisis or can we create a rallying cry, I look at them uh, as uh, a compelling mission, something that's pulling us in, or a common enemy, something that's pushing us in. And those have to be at the company level, not at the business unit, not at the functional area. And it needs to really be driven down hard that you should not have those at the functional unit level or at the business unit level. You should have them at the company level. So you, your first commitment, your first mission should not be a mission for the business unit. It should be a compelling mission that's pulling you in. And I talked about that many times in the past. It cannot be something that's so abstract, that's so meaningless, that, that doesn't do the job. So the company really must create something that's, that's compelling, that's pulling us in. Now, this is not an either or. I would say on top of that, identify the common enemy that you have outside of the company, not outside of your business unit, not outside of your functional area, outside of the company. Identify it. Emphasize it. Focus on it. It will push the company in. Once again, not at a business unit level, not at a functional area level. The third one and this should really start at the executive level. Kill competition between business units. Kill competition between functional areas. You will sense, if you're the CEO, you will sense this in a meeting, in an executive meeting. You will sense that they compete among each other. You will sense that they are creating silos. And you need to squash this as soon as you can. 
Even if you're not the CEO, you're just one of the executives. Give yourself the right, give yourself the permission to speak out and say, we must kill that. We cannot be competing with each other. We have the compelling mission that's pulling us in. We have the common enemy that's pushing us in. We need to focus on those. And, and on those. Don't have competition for budget. Don't have competitions for resources. That only creates silos. Remind all the executives, and that's something that Lencioni said, that first of all, you're a company executive. Second, you're a business unit manager. Second, you're a functional department uh, leader. But first and foremost, you are an executive in this company. And your first and top priority is to the company's success, not your business unit, not your functional area. So that's what you do in the symmetry or the wall of distrust area. Next, I'll touch on personality compatibility, but, but I'll also pull in time and intimacy because often time and intimacy is what builds that personality compatibility. And I'll start at the executive level. You need to have those executives spend time with each other. Time and, and again, time and intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I, I really mean uh, uh, in person, spend time in person. So, you know, have events. I'm not talking about boondoggles. I'm, I'm not talking about let's all fly to Hawaii and, and do team building stuff, you know, once in a year. I'm talking about spending more time with each other uh, and in person again. I'm talking about exploring what you have in common. Get to know each other personally. Uh, try to eliminate the line that you have between work and personal life. I know that uh, there's this whole balance between your work and your life and so on. I'll tell you something. I used to have that balance and, and that line and I drew a line. And when I left the office, I was out of the office. But you know what? I enjoy my life so much more now that there is no line for me. I always think about trust. I always work. And, and I always have fun. And when, when I work, I'm, I'm, I live my personal life as well. So try to eliminate that line between the work and personal life. And, and let, I'm not going to say force. Because if you have to force it, then, then Houston, we have a problem. But encourage the executives and, and other people in the company, frankly, to get to know each other, to spend time with each other. You'll be amazed at what happens when, when people start getting to know each other, really, what happens to their relationships at work. Now, I, I talked about that in the past, and I talk about that in the workshops when, when I talk about team building. There's also the dreaded decision that has to be made sometimes. If you cannot bridge a personality incompatibility because there is a fundamental value issue that is different between two members or more of the team, and it is at high enough priority for both of them such that they're not willing to change it, you got to know when you need to make that dreaded decision and get rid of those who are not going to play along, who are not going to be personally compatible with the others. And again, when I say personally compatible, I don't mean that everybody has to be the same. 
You know, take politics, for example. I know that there are people who, you know, if you're a Republican, then they will never trust you. doesn't matter what you do. And, and if you're a Democrat, they will never trust you and doesn't matter what you do. Um, but for other people like me, for example, I don't care. You know, I don't care if you're supporting the other, the opposite party. And, you know, frankly, I don't think that any party right now exactly represents what I believe in. I think both parties got to the extreme, but I'm, I'm getting uh, on a tangent here. So build that personality compatibility through spending more time and more intimacy. And again, intimacy means FaceTime, not anything beyond that. And if this cannot be built, if this is not a matter of time and, and intimacy, if this is a matter of uh, conflicting values that are very important to both sides, you got to break them apart because otherwise you're just keeping silos. You're making a conscious decision to keep silos. So that's what you do at the executive level. One of the best tools to break down silos, break down, tear down the wall of uh, distrust is to create cross-functional teams. Create one-on-one cross-silo relationships among members of different functional areas or or different business units. Those cross-functional teams should be created for a specific mission, a specific task. The task has to be at the company level, not at the business unit level. And I can tell you that From my personal experience, some of the biggest successes that I experienced at the company level was when we created a cross-functional team with members of different business units or members of different functional areas or, or a combination. Because they spend more time together and that time is more intimate. And one of the great things that happened as a result Remember the fifth law of trust, trust is transferable. If I trust you and you trust somebody else, then I trust that other person. They go back to their functional organization. They go back to their business unit and they tell other people, hey, those people on the other business unit, they're good people. Those people in the other functional area, they're good people. And and they do the opposite of what creates silos, which is, I really don't know other people, but, you know, I was told that they're not good people, that, that we're in competition with them, that, that we don't share our values or we don't share our goals or missions. When people from a cross-functional team go back to their functional areas, they help tear down those silos. Build cross-functional teams to address company-level issues. You know, I know that I just said to only address company level issues, but there is actually even value in when you need to address to solve a functional organization or a business unit issue and you create a cross-functional team and you bring in people from other organizations, from other functional departments, from other business units, when you bring them in, you actually tear down silos as well. So even if it is to to address your issues, not not just company level issues, 
bring people in. Uh, you get a lot more empathy, by the way, this way. And and when they go back into their business units, they, they might be your champion. Once again, breaking down silos, tearing down the walls of distrust. This is it for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, what I thought I'll do too is kind of talk about some of the uh, topics that, that I have planned out and reach out to me, uh, reach out to us to let us know uh, what you feel about different topics. Uh, one of them is, uh, and, and you know, if you have another topic, just, just let us know. Let me know and, and I'll record something. I'll address that. Uh, we just went through this uh, interesting, I'll call it interesting experience of selecting the speaker of the house. And, and it brought an, an interesting perspective on ma- majority, on majority voting, on consensus achieving and trust, obviously. So that, that could be one topic. Uh, one of them is um, informality and trust. Uh, how does informality interact with trust? Uh, another topic I have is uh, how to be a trusted politician. I don't know. Maybe I'll just leave this one for much, much, much later. Um, oh, this is a good one. Uh, remote employees. One of the things that I, I always hear is when people talk about uh, uh, this is the new normal. Everybody's going to be working remote and so on. And and the answer is not that uh uh, that clear and uh, and here's something I was asked one of the workshops that I gave the CEO actually um, stood up and asked me uh, can you trust remote employees so obviously that's going to be a topic that I'll address artificial intelligence you know when you get things like chat GPT and Jasper and, and other AI things that allow you to generate content um, as if it was yours but it's not really uh, how does that interact with trust, with the trust that we have in this in this content? Uh, diversity and trust, the interaction between diversity and, and trust. Uh, I read recently an article about uh, the level of trust in the HR department, and, and what I read was kind of scary. One of the articles said that uh, 80% of employees say they don't trust the HR department, and that's not good. Uh, we need to... Uh, uh, we need to address that. And and uh, one other topic I have is, uh, can you really build trust in every relationship? The answer is no, but I'll explain why. And, and I'll talk about, so how do you know if you can build trust or cannot build trust? So if any of those topics uh, really resonate with you, let me know. Um, or if you have another topic, let me know, and I'll be happy to uh, record an episode on those. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. 
And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.